This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Livin' the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. All right, this week on Live in the Brain, we have got such a fantastic guest, someone you have seen on Fox News at Night and other Fox shows. Um, we have been so impressed by him, his viewpoint, his ability to back it up. His voice has been a very important one in a lot of things going on in our country. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is the author of a brand new book, Woke Inc., but he's got such a fascinating background as well. Um, trained as a scientist, um, knows biology better than I barely got through my you know first year uh, of college, had to get through that bio, but he also went on to law school. He's been a biotech investor, started his own company, was CEO for seven years. We're going to talk about why he stepped down from that position. He's co-founded uh, a number of tech companies. He writes, you'll see his things on um, the opinion pages of Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, National Review, all over the place. And like I said, we are thankful to call him a guest on Fox News at night as well. Vivek, welcome to Live in the Brain. Thank you, Shannon. Good to be here. So you've talked about so many of the things that you now encapsulate in this book, Woke Inc. And I think that you are onto something that um, people across this country, I hope from all sides of the political spectrum, will read this, digest it, think about what is happening with our country. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to write this book. Yeah, well, look, I think, Shannon, we live in a moment right now where most Americans are afraid to express their true beliefs in public. And it's something that I encountered in my own seat as CEO of a company, in that even when I was to speak up as a citizen, expressing my own points of view, that raised real consequences for my business because my views didn't accord with the orthodoxy of America's business elites. And you know, I think that that culture of fear for a lot of people creates a choice between keeping your job and putting food on the dinner table. And thankfully, you know, for, for a variety of reasons I've been fortunate enough to enjoy, I have lived the full arc of the American dream. And I didn't have to make the choice about whether I have to put food on the dinner table anymore. And I viewed that as, as somewhat of a privilege that also came with the responsibility to speak freely and speak openly, because I think the only way out of this cultural malaise is for all of us to start talking openly again and engaging in truly honest and open dialogue with one another. And I felt like my small part was beginning to share some of my experiences in, you know, the corridors of elite America that I've been in for the last 10 to 15 years. But to be able to speak honestly about those experiences, even if that came at some small personal cost to me, it was a cost that I could bear compared to so many others who were in, you know, maybe not in quite as fortunate of a position that might face worse consequences if they were to express their own beliefs on the job or in their in their daily lives. So, so that, that was my original motivation for writing the book. And it's been a journey. And I've learned a lot about myself, my own views, have even changed my mind on a few things along the way. And, and so I'm grateful that I did it. And I'm looking forward to rolling it out. 
Yeah. And you talk about the fact that, listen, you're kind of one of an insider uh, who's sort of ratting out some of what happens behind closed doors um, and things that people don't really have a chance to see. I mean, you have a unique viewpoint because of who you are, where you've been Ivy League educated, working at some of the biggest uh, corporations in this country. I mean, well-known people, places and things. And for you to come out and say, hey, listen, we need to rethink this. Um, you mentioned the perfect example of people who are now afraid to speak what they believe to be the truth because they worry about the implications of um, their standing uh, at work. I mean, potentially costing them a job. People are worried about their kids too. They have kids in school. Are my kids going to be um, you know, shunned or cast aside because of something I am saying? Um, for you, it was worrying about your company and making sure that you had enough uh, separation between uh, the corporate entity and yourself so that you could speak um, freely. Um, but what you get into this book is talking about, there's kind of a scam um, that you think is going mm-hmm. on with the American people that corporations um, are getting very woke. And um, a lot of people will say, okay, it's an evolution towards using uh, our money, using our corporate heft for good. Um, but you say there's actually more to it, that they're doing it because they think they can profit from it. So don't think it's all altruism. I don't think it's all altruism. I think it's an arranged marriage, Shannon, between two partners in this marriage who have secret disdain for one another. And any marriage in which each partner has a scorn for the other is not going to end well in the long run. But in this marriage, that's the capitalist elite in America and in much of the Western world entering an arranged marriage with the woke progressive movement where each side is in the marriage because they get something out of it. I think of it more like mutual prostitution that began in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, coming out of which corporations were the bad guys. You might remember this. The old left wanted to take money from those wealthy corporate fat cats and redistribute it to poor people to help poor people. And agree or not, that's what the old left had to say. But there was this new woke left that was born right around the same time that actually had a slightly different theory where they said the real ill wasn't just poverty or economic injustice. It was racial injustice and misogyny and bigotry. And that actually presented the opportunity of a generation, Shannon, for Wall Street, for big business, eventually for Silicon Valley to say that if we could use our corporate power to advance those values, progressive values, what we may now call woke values, then we could actually go from being the bad guys to being the good guys. Of course, we're not in the business of doing things for free. We're big business after all. And so our expectation in return is that the new Democratic Party or the new left looks the other way when it comes to leaving corporate power intact. And that's the trade that has worked masterfully for the last decade since the 2008 financial crisis. And the net result has been the birth of this new monster, this new Leviathan, if I may, that's far more powerful than what even Thomas Hobbes might have envisioned 400 years ago, far more powerful than either big government or big business alone, because it was a new hybrid of the two that could do what either one could not do on its own. And and I think we have to wrap our heads, Shannon, around the fact that that new hybrid of big government and big business, of the woke progressive movement and of the capitalist elite class is actually the biggest threat to liberty and prosperity today in ways that I think both the conservative movement and the liberal movement in our country have failed to recognize for their own reasons. And, And that's what I call the rise of the woke industrial complex. Yeah. And you talk about the fact that both sides are sort of tricked into further dividing the country over this. I mean, there's something for each end of the spectrum to be upset about, to um, find 
um, fault with the other end uh, to see people as other or to see a division there. I want to read a quote from uh, very early on in the book. You say, woke culture posits a new theory of who you are as a person, one that reduces you to the characteristics you inherit at birth and denies your status as a free agent in the world. And it deploys powerful corporations to propagate this new theory with the full force of modern capitalism behind it. That's right. And I think that we might make for better consumers, Shannon, if we can be divvied up on the basis of our demographic characteristics based on how likely we are to click on an ad or based on how likely we are to gravitate towards a vision of an identity that a corporation sells us on a given day. But I think it leaves us worse off as citizens in the end. And personally, I think the right answer to this isn't to ban corporate behaviors, as tempting as that might be to do. I think the real answer is we need to redevelop a shared American identity that runs so deep that it dilutes wokeism to irrelevance such that we're no longer going to be susceptible to the moral masquerading of corporations today. And, you know, the way I think about what corporate America is doing via their advertising gimmicks today is kind of the equivalent of what a Virginia Slims manufacturer might have done to insecure teenage girls in the 1990s. Instead of preying on adolescent insecurities, I think corporate America is now preying on our collective moral insecurities as a people. And I think the right answer to that isn't just some sort of symptomatic therapy that stops them from doing it, though we may need a bit of that in the short term. But I think in the long run, what we really need to do is to fill the moral void that wokeism fills with something that is far more substantial, filling that moral hunger with more substantial fare as citizens that ultimately allows us to be consumers when we're consumers and to be citizens when we're citizens, but not having to mix morality with our dollars, as I think we are wont to do in this new woke capitalist world. How does that get done? I mean, is that through individuals um, making choices that add up to something collectively? Is it houses of worship? Is it NGOs? Is it lawmakers? How do we get to that place of reestablishing the shared ideals? Yeah, well, look, I think it starts with our culture. I mean, if you think about it, faith is on the decline. Patriotism has nearly disappeared. I think we lack a fundamental answer to the question of what it even means to be an American in the year 2021. And I personally think our absence of an answer to that very question is the black hole at the center of our nation's soul. And when you have a vacuum that runs that deep, that's what allows bad things to start to fill the void. I personally think that's what makes wokeism the equivalent of our opioid for the masses today. And I think that the answer begins with refilling that moral void with civic identity. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that might actually involve thinking about some really radical ideas about how we revive civic identity starting at a young age. I'm personally in favor, Shannon, of something that I wouldn't have told you I was in favor of 10 years ago, but I am today, of weaving civic service into primary education, you know, perhaps into summer break without having to change life structure, to teach people that service is something that is normalized today. Service for your country is something that you do to earn into your citizenship. I think about back when I was in high school and getting into college, and I think it's that, you know, it's on steroids today, the use of performative service as something you put on a college application. And then in college, you do the same thing to get into graduate school. And then once you graduate and you join a walk to Lipton or whatever it is after pe- people do after they graduate from law school, it's no surprise that you then want to be a performatively woke capitalist as well, expounding on the virtues of stakeholder capitalism while you're actually just looking for an extra way to make a buck. I think the real problem in our country right now is that we have an entire generation that graduates from school without ever having 
known or learned or developed the muscle memory for doing service as an end in itself. And as a consequence, you spend then your life in our free market and our capitalist system with this apologist model of capitalism, where because you never really did true service as an end in itself, you're never able to actually unabashedly pursue your self-interest either. And we're left with the boast of bo- worst of both worlds, where you have my generation, millennials, who know how to neither do service nor how to pursue their self-interest because we've always been taught to mix the two up. And so one of the ways I think this begins, Shannon, is a revival of civic identity starting in schools, starting possibly with weaving even civic service into the basic tenets of primary education, the idea that you don't just inherit the country, you play a role and have a stake in building it, and and sort of begin to fill that moral void in in the civic sphere of our lives. I think that's entirely different from the faith-based sphere of our lives too, which I think is arguably even more important though I don't talk about that as much in the book because that's, uh, you know, I think that's an even deeper issue in, into its own right. But I think we can at least start with the lower hanging fruit of rebuilding shared civic identity that makes wokeism really look superficial and thin by comparison. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You talk about the issue of social values of us deciding what's culturally appropriate and acceptable um, and how that should be a conversation that citizens have. But it's corporate America that in many ways is setting that conversation or making those decisions other than us as citizens of this country having that debate within ourselves. Exactly. And and that gets to an apolitical principle, Shannon, that runs through the entire thesis of the book. And that's this. I reject in any democracy, especially in American democracy, the use of force as a substitute for free open debate as our mechanism for settling political questions, full stop. I've talked, to, I've talked about this with you on the show at night at times. Democracy isn't just about casting some ballot every November. Sure, that's part of the story. It's also, though, about preserving our democratic ideals of free speech and open debate. And I think if the perversion of democracy is anything, it is a reversion to the idea that we settle those same questions through the use of force and economic force in the market can be one lever of force that we see in the new stakeholder capitalist mentality, which says that because you wield market power, you also get to wield moral power. It's what you just saw this week, for example, from NASDAQ saying that its vision for diversity will govern corporate America, that companies cannot list on one of our two major public exchanges unless they fit NASDAQ's conception of skin deep diversity, which by the way, doesn't include a modicum of diversity of thought, Mm -hmm. but is all about skin deep diversity. You know, I I come out on one side of that debate, but my deeper issue is we should just be having the debate, actually. Let's talk about it in the open. Let's talk about the merits of whether we need racial and gender-based quota systems or not. And let's debate that out in the open rather than just using somebody's market or monopoly power as a way of settling the question full stop by force. And that's what we're seeing, not just with the rise of wokeism, which I think there's still a place for wokeism in the sphere of democratic public debate in the United States, but when wokeism gets married to capitalism, that's really when it becomes unstoppable. And, and I worry on the other side too, Shannon, that this is how the culture war may end in our country, not with a bang, but as T.S. Eliot may have said, with a whimper. And what I mean by that is that the mechanism that the political right then has left to fight back is to use force in return, 
cancel culture in return to cancel wokeism. And we're off to the races on a race to the bottom where victimhood culture spreads from the left to the right, where I think it runs rampant today. Cancel culture spreads from the left to the right, where it begins to at least catch foot, as I believe it is today. And I think that that's actually the most dangerous way the so-called culture war may end, where both sides still think they're in the war, but actually have joined the same church under a different name. And, And I worry that's where we're heading unless real leaders on both sides step up to reject the use of force and to embrace open debate as the way we settle these questions. And so much of the questions about open debate now ends up in what is uh, some people would argue become a, in the legal sense, a public forum, which is big tech, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's all these places where we go to have these conversations. Um, But there are obviously growing concerns about uh, what's taken down, what's censored, things that a year ago were flagged or taken down as misinformation about COVID are now mainstream conversations and theories that people are having, whether it's about the lab leak or other things um, that respected scientists uh, are around the globe are actually having these conversations that we were told a year ago were false and misinformation and could not be tolerated and were censored. Um, on the other hand, you'll have a lot of folks say, uh, it's a straw man. There isn't censorship. Conservatives have the top rated pages on Facebook, and this is one of their best outlets. And um, they're calling, you know, crying about a boogeyman that doesn't exist in big tech. What do you say? Yeah, look, I think that we, while we can debate the scope of which this big tech censorship has actually resulted in selective censorship of conservatives. And I have a view on that. I do think it has been politically tilted. That isn't even the most important question, because if it can happen to political conservatives today, it can happen to political liberals tomorrow. Let's just talk about a specific example over the last year. Okay. Without doubt, one of the most important questions of our era is what the origin of the coronavirus pandemic was. Where did COVID-19 originate? Where did the SARS-CoV-2 virus come from? Was it engineered in a lab or did it come from nature? This, if it came from a lab, was undoubtedly the Chernobyl of our generation. And we owe it to human history, to ourselves, to our future, and even to our future safety to get to the bottom of that question, right? And the thing that's striking, Shannon, is that I'm just going to state a fact. You could, as little as eight months ago, go on Facebook or go on other social media sites, say that the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan, and you would have been censored. You, your account may have been taken down. Your post would have been censored by engaging in an open debate about one of the most important public policy questions of our time. And yet here we are eight months later when that is, in my opinion, without doubt, the unambiguous theory that best explains where this virus originated. And by the way, senior officials in the Biden administration are saying the same thing. This is now quietly becoming the new consensus for the fact that this virus came from a lab. And I think it's not just important for the pursuit of democracy in its, at its fullest, for a functioning democracy for us to be able to vet ideas in the marketplace of ideas. I also think it's important for the pursuit of science and the pursuit of truth itself. Because, Shannon, if history teaches us anything, it is that most of our current beliefs will be proven false or modified in some way. And the only way we get there is through free speech and open debate. And yes, skepticism, that is one of the things the scientific method depends upon. And the irony is that today we now live in a moment where in the name of science, we have actually sacrificed the true scientific method. In the name of diversity, we have sacrificed true diversity of opinion and the exchange of different opinions. 
And I think that that's the scariest point of all, not whether it's political conservatives who are crying today about whether they're the ones who are being unfairly treated by big tech or liberals who are responding in due course that they're not. That's a superficial debate compared to what's actually at stake here, which is the fact that we may be sacrificing our best mechanisms for pursuing truth, for pursuing science, for living the ideals of democracy itself. And once that's taken away permanently, there's no way we're easily going to get it back because Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey are not subject to constitutional term limits and are not subject to constitutional constraints in the same way that our otherwise functioning constitutional democracy really is. So that's what I'm most worried about. Again, the book is Woke, Inc. It is out August 17th, anywhere you buy your books. The author, Vivek Ramaswamy, kind enough to um, speak with us. And I will leave you with a little bit of what he says in the opening to the book. He says, a good barometer for the health of any democracy is the percentage of people who are willing to say what they actually believe in public. Uh, Vivek, uh, regardless of where people are coming from, left, right, or center, I hope they'll check out your book and find the courage to have those conversations. So thanks for writing it and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Shannon. A lot of fun. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 